2: Hello again. I'm John Gidley, and welcome to another trip into the football attic. If you were with me last week, you heard me interview uh, my father, lifelong fan of the Philadelphia Eagles. And uh, continuing with my uh, interview theme, I was—I am very pleased to welcome in one of my uh, Twitter buddies, who I think basically shares the same brain as I do. Uh, yeah. Matt Pizzano. Matt, welcome.
0: Thank you. Great to be here, John.
2: So, take me—take me back when. When did you first get into football? Do you think your, your first early memories?
0: First early memory, actually I have vague recollections of Super Bowl 21, Giants Broncos, of course. And it's probably about just before I turned five years old. And I remember being over at my uh, father's parents' house and they had the game on. and just the color and the pageantry really drew me in. And then as it went on, you know, of course, the Giants ended up winning that game. And the next season, the strike short in year 87, I went to my first game. It was uh, Giants-Jets, the last game of the regular season. Mm -hmm. And that was for we sat all the way up in the upper deck. And I just remember how cold and windy it was that day. (laughs) Of course, the legendary wind at Giants Stadium. I got my first taste of that. So it was just something that. The color, the excitement, all the pageantry just really drew me in immediately. Mm-hmm.
2: You mentioned the pageantry, and uh, what better place to start than Super Bowl 21 at the Rose Bowl? Unfortunately, uh, there was only one uh, Super Bowl after that at the Rose Bowl. Unfortunately, there haven't been more, but that, that is, it, it was really a shame to not have the Rose Bowl in Pasadena this year because that, that's always, that kicks off the new year, that just the, the beautiful sunset as the game progresses. Uh, it was really a shame that we couldn't have that this
0: year. Oh, I agree. The, the backdrop of the mountains, the San Gabriel Mountains, it's something to see. And I always thought they got great, uh, great images from that, especially the NFL films over the years and just the TV cameras. So, Absolutely. Well, that's a good segue. Uh, let's talk about NFL films because you are a
2: uh, – I consider you a connoisseur of NFL films. You seem okay. to know uh, a lot of the, what, what has been aired – Uh, who has done the music, who the the hosts or the voiceover uh, artists have been. So how did you first get into NFL films?
0: That was probably around the same time, I would say, right after I started watching the Giants with my dad. He would often record the documentaries when ESPN used to show the old ones. He would okay. put them on the old VHS tapes for me, and I would just wear them out. I watched them so many times. I just mm-hmm. remember being so upset when they would eventually, the tape would eventually rip, mm-hmm. just from rewinding and watching and rewinding over and over. The first one I want to say that I own was the Super Sunday VHS. It came out, I want to say, 1988, and it went up to Super Bowl 22, actually. It came out that summer, I believe, after the Redskins Broncos Super Bowl. That was one that I watched so many times. I probably had the thing memorized at some point. <laughs> My parents were just mind blown. I think. Do you uh,
2: do you have a favorite uh, either uh, highlight film or or documentary, or is it is is it hard to pick one?
0: The. Uh... It is hard to pick. They're all, I just think everything they did, especially in the first 20 years or so, was just incredible. Mm-hmm. I do like the re- more recent ones, the America's Game Series, they did for the Super Bowl champions, going back and interviewing a few people from the teams with the celebrity narrations. I thought they did a great job with that. I uh, was trying to think of some other ones. I remember the Super Bowl three highlight film I actually enjoyed a lot. Had mm-hmm. to be at the end of it, actually, when they tried to make it seem like Johnny Unitas was going to rally the Colts back against the Jets, with the dramatic music playing at the end of that. So that's a memorable one, also.
2: I'll well, see that. That's that's the thing about NFL films is that they they love to uh, prolong that narrative, make you think that you know the Colts are actually going to come back and win this, or especially with the highlight films if a team finishes with only like two or three wins. They only show the good stuff. And, you know, well, wait until next year. These
0: guys are going to be good. Yeah, it's never a negative. They always find a way to spin it somehow. Yeah. And actually, when I was able to buy the original NBC broadcast of Super Bowl three a few years later, I was actually kind of amazed to realize how it really unfolded, that the Colts did score at the end, but really the Jets were pretty much in control the whole way. But that's, that's the magic of NFL films, though. It really... It draws you in, and it keeps you compelled no matter what. Even I also feel even if you're not a fan of that particular team, their style and the music and the narration really almost makes you start to root for a team at some point. Of course, of course. Uh, my
2: my father grew up uh, in the 70s, and a weekly appointment viewing for him was this week in pro football with Pat oh, yeah. Summerall and Tom Brookshire, and then later on it was uh, – Narrated by Harry Callis, I think for me that that's peak NFL films. That is that is right in their wheelhouse with the narrations by Pat and Brookie and later Harry Callis. Uh, the music by Sam Spence. I, that that's probably that's probably the pinnacle of NFL films for me. Because the other thing was they recapped every single game mm-hmm. in about two or three minute segments. It was kind of like the precursor to uh, NFL primetime or or Sports Center. Uh, pretty pretty innovative, and they treated every game equally.
0: Yes, and back then, that was the, really the only way to catch the highlights of the games mm-hmm. that you didn't see in your market that week mm-hmm. because it was only the three major networks, and you didn't have cable. There was no internet to get highlights, so it was appointment viewing, and that's another favorite of mine, too. I do have those on a DVD in my collection. I think I have – I was able to find 70 through 74, the real – golden era as you were saying too yeah every episode summer on brookshire it's every episode not well i think everyone that is available yeah i know there are there's 1970 i think there's a couple weeks where it's only half the episode that survives and i think there's a week from 72 where there's no sound it's just uh it's just video but mm-hmm. As much as they have, I, I was able to get it from someone on eBay actually a few months back. Oh, interesting.
2: Yeah, uh, <laughs> we, may have, we might we might edit that part out. Hopefully, nobody in the NFL hears us. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you are you're a little different from me in that uh, I have never actually been. Uh, if if I can confess, I've never actually been to a live NFL game. I've been to okay. uh, I've been to two practices. Uh, one of them was very memorable. I went to see the Eagles practice at Franklin Field about six years ago. Uh, where they wow. played from, where they played in the '60s when they won that championship in 1960, and they actually wore the Kelly green uniforms practicing. It was uh, it was really a sight to behold. Uh, mm-hmm. You have been to your fair share of live games,
0: correct? I have. I haven't actually been in several years between 1987, when I went to my first game, and around 2003 or so, is when I really attended a lot of games, but. I- you know, football being a television sport in more recent years, I've actually kind of liked to be at home. Mm-hmm. You know, exactly. you get the highlights of the other games, they'll jump in every few minutes to show you a touchdown, you can watch Red Zone. Yep. So that helps, and especially late in the season, sometimes, you know, the cold affects me a little bit more than it did when I was younger too. So <laughs> it's nice to be inside, not have to fight traffic or deal with the sub-zero temps. But of course.
2: Any uh, any particular games that you uh, remember fondly that you were at?
0: I remember 2003 was the uh, home opener for the Giants, and they were playing the Rams, and that was basically the – looking back, it was the end of the Kurt Warner era in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. The Giants really knocked him around that game. I think he, the, they had a fumble recovery in the end zone for a touchdown off of the sack, and the Giants looked good, and that was one of the years when I was – really hopeful that they were going to make a Super Bowl run. And, of course, that season ended up falling apart. But oh, just yeah, to they... be there on opening day, it was it was very exciting. You know, the optimism for the fans and the players are pumped up. So that was fun.
2: You know what's ironic was that Kurt Warner ended up uh, quarterbacking the Giants the next year.
0: Yep. Before uh, Eli took over midseason. Paving, yeah.
2: paving the way for Eli Manning, yep. Uh, yeah. What do you think that – I think – the seventies in terms of, uh, aesthetically with NFL films, I think is my personally, my favorite, uh, era of football. Does it seem to you that the, the kind of the mystique has worn off a little bit? I mean, football is still football, but at the same time, the, when I go back and I, I look at the NFL films highlights and I, and I listen to the music by Sam Spence, it's really on a whole other level compared to today.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think today it's gotten a little bit too stale, corporate maybe, cold. Mm-hmm. You don't have that same narration and the, the visuals. It, it was more of a storytelling back then. And I think they tried to portray the struggle of the game and almost made it seem like a war movie in some terms. You know, the close-up of the players' faces, the sweat, and the dramatic slow-motion shots – you, you don't get that as much now. It almost just seems very straight line, very sterilized these days. The music doesn't seem to be as memorable or the narration. So I do agree.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and the other thing is, like you said, uh,
2: there was the there was the element of uh, suspense, or perhaps even surprise with some of the films, considering that Today, we're probably pretty spoiled in that we can see basically whatever game we want. If you watch Red Zone, you see bits and pieces of every single game going on, whereas, as you said back then, you probably only got two or three games every Sunday, and the rest – it it was left up to your imagination until uh, you saw it this week in pro football, either the next uh, Friday or Saturday uh, before Mm -hmm. the week began.
0: Exactly. Maybe that's why they don't put as much effort into it now. I'm not quite sure, but I – I think it would. It does add something to the game, though. I think that's one of the big reasons why I really fell in love with it. Just how unforgettable that music and narration was. It just. It really just. It sticks to you, and leaves an impression.
2: And it, it's also really a shame that uh, ESPN Classic and then later on uh, NFL Network uh, do not show uh, the the treasure trove of highlights that they really have. You could make an entire channel really out of all of the highlight films all of the highlight shows, the individual team highlight films. I mean, the highlight shows, I, I think you would agree with my sentiment. Open the vault.
0: Oh, absolutely. I don't know it's, why they don't. I mean it's, – It's a gold mine. Especially, you know, it's off-season programming even when you don't have as much to show or there's not as much to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know, in between the draft and minicamp and when training camp starts, you could just show marathons of those team highlight films or this week in pro football. I don't know if it's they don't think that people would be in, as interested in it now, but I think it's a great way to show teach people the history of the game.
2: Absolutely, and people would watch too. Uh, not only people who remember it, people like my dad, oh, yeah. or, but people like myself, like you said, being able to to teach a younger generation of what the NFL was all about. Because uh, one of the one of the faults I think of uh, of the media, the NFL media today, is that they really don't recognize anything before probably. 1990 it almost seems as if the NFL began when uh, when Scott Norwood's kick went wide right in Tampa
0: oh yeah no that's another memory (laughs) I was so you know I was probably about eight or nine I was eight I remember I couldn't even watch that kick I was so nervous as a fan thinking oh we're gonna lose after all this going through this beating the 49ers and having that great game plan to hold the Bills offense down Mm -hmm. and it still came down to that field goal and that was something.
1: Beating the I 49ers. felt
0: the more weird, though.
2: Yeah, beating the 49ers and then also uh, really taking it to the Bears in the divisional round, which was yeah. very surprising because the Bears were still a powerhouse at that point. Maybe tailing off a little bit because they didn't get a first round by that year. They were in the wild card round. They beat the Saints. Then they had to travel to the Meadowlands to beat the yep. Giants. And the offense just jumped on that legendary Bears defense.
0: That's right. And the Giants, if I remember also, they had a pretty memorable uh, stop on fourth and goal early mm-hmm. in the game. Uh, I think Dicka went for it when he could have taken the points on the road, but the Giants ended up stuffing. It might have been Brad Muster, if I'm, or, or Neil Anderson, one of those guys. I can't remember exactly which player it was on that play, but huge goal line stand by that Giants defense. And that was pretty much the end of the road for that Bears team, I believe. Dicker was true, gone yeah. a couple of years later.
2: Yeah, they, they lost yeah. to the they lost to the Cowboys in the wild card round the next year, and then uh, yeah. the the bottom really fell out in '92, and then after that Ditka was gone, and quite honestly, they probably really haven't been the same since. Maybe aside from that 2006 team that went to the Super Bowl, it really yeah. it really hasn't been the same for the Bears.
0: No, and they always seem to be looking for a quarterback too.
2: Well, I that's mean. the other thing we just heard today that Deshaun Watson is uh, is looking for a trade. That would mm-hmm. be big, although they passed yeah. up on him a first time so that's true who knows what they happened to
0: get trubisky
2: right so yep yeah they actually i was looking back at it they traded with the 49ers for the bears had the second pick the 49ers had the third pick or well, it was the other way around san francisco had the second pick chicago had the third and right. chicago traded with san francisco for the second pick because they were that worried that the 49ers would take trubisky so i mean <laughs> and they passed up on watson and patrick mahomes so I'm not sure if I can entirely trust their judgment.
0: Yeah, they just can't seem to get it right there. And a lot of people say that Sid Luckman may still be the best quarterback in franchise history. He probably is. Back and he retired, what, 70 years ago. So, (laughs) yeah.
2: The the Cleveland Browns and the uh, Buffalo Bills are both in the playoffs for, with the Clevelands in the playoffs, first time in 18 years. Buffalo's going to be, hosting a playoff game for the first time in 24 years. you feel a little nostalgic that uh, you'll be able to actually uh, watch a playoff game from Buffalo again?
0: Yeah, that'll be fun. I mean, even though it's, you know, you're not going to get the normal crowd because of the virus, but I'm happy for them. You know, I, they have great fans, and they even despite the fact that they never won the Super Bowl, they still have a really good history, even going back to the AFL at the old uh, War Memorial Stadium. The Rock Pile. Yeah, they won the championships in 64 and 65, so it's a good history. It's a good town. I, they seem to be kind of snake-bitten sports-wise, it's so tough. I hope they make a run.
2: I, I can't see it really going any other way besides uh, having it be Kansas City and Green Bay in the Super Bowl. Would you agree?
0: Yeah, right now. They're, too, they're pretty much the, uh, the favorites, I would say. They distance themselves from the field right now. Yeah.
2: Definitely the Packers. It was looking as if the Packers are, uh, were kind of slumping midseason uh, with uh, that that loss to the Colts, in particular. But uh, they they have really turned it on in December. And Aaron Rodgers is most likely the MVP. Forty eight touchdown passes. And I think I think I saw that they actually did they score more touchdowns this year than they had punts.
0: Yes, I think and, only that's only happened four times. I think unbelievable in history. Yeah. And there were actually some teams on there that uh, I was surprised. There were some teams that were not on that list that I thought would have been, you know, the '83 Redskins and '98 Vikings. It's not—it's not, it's not easy to do. Oh no, uh,
2: this, especially considering, yeah, some great offenses have never done it. Uh, well, Matt, I want to thank you very much for uh, joining me here on the Football Attic. It's been fun. Thanks for uh, taking the time out to talk with me and uh, and to talk with our fans.
0: Absolutely, it was a pleasure, John. All right, to thank, again.
2: You, thank you very much and uh, make sure to join me next week here on the football attic. In the meantime, check out all the other great podcasts here on the sports history network and follow me on Twitter at JFG sports until next time. Oh, and also follow Matt on Twitter at Matt Pisano,
1: M-A-T-T-P-I-Z-Z-A-N-O. Until next time, this is John Gidley. This podcast is part of the sports history network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, sports history fan, this is Arnie Chapman, aka the Football History Dude, and I hope that you enjoyed this recent episode presented by the Sports History Network, and were able to learn some good old-fashioned sports history knowledge nuggets. I started the Sports History Network back in 2020 with the mission to help podcasters find a community of like-minded sports history nerds, as well as helping aspiring podcasters to start their own shows. We have a little bit over 30 shows on the network right now covering all sorts of sports history. But as far as I'm concerned, we're just at the toothpick in the ocean moment, you know, that can't even figure it out because there's so much more coming. We wanted to create the ultimate headquarters for sports year, starting with Podcast Network and our website. But we're going to continue to move into other mediums as well. And here's the cool part, because we want you to be part of our team. So if you're interested in starting your own podcast, or maybe being a guest on one of our shows. Or who knows, maybe even writing an article for us over on the website. Seriously, all you gotta do is reach out to us on the contact page over at sportshistorynetwork.com. You can be as technologically savvy as a Neanderthal tapping on a stone trying to figure out this whole hieroglyphics thing back in the day. Again, it doesn't matter. Because even if you don't understand the whole podcast space, we have a production team that can pretty much help you out with doing everything. All you gotta do, head over to Sports. HistoryNetwork.com, head to the contact page, fill it out. That message goes right to me, and I'll reach out to you as soon as I can. But for now, dude, I'm through if you're through.